this is uh, this is not the Godfather, but you should still listen to me when I tell you to uh, listen to the 4:30 Movie podcast. It's at 4:30movie.com, and they'll make you a podcast you can't refuse. Boogie down with reformed Dabo girl Chase Masterson as she takes you inside Star Trek Discovery every week on the all-new Star Trek podcast, Disco Nights, from the creators of Inglorious Trexperts. You can listen to Disco Nights wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Dockerman, and we're the Inglorious Trexperts. Whoever you are, drop your weapons. This ends now. <laughs> Did you miss me as much as I missed you? Mud. Did you really think that you could leave me to rot in a Klingon prison and not suffer any repercussions? As soon as I find out what's so special about your ship, I'm going to sell it to the Klingons. Do you hear me, Captain? I'm going to sell your ship to your mortal enemy. And in so doing, destroy any chance your Federation has of winning this war. When you left me behind with the Klingons, you robbed me of my dear, sweet Stella. The only woman I have ever loved. And I will have my revenge. Also, I'm going to kill you as many times as possible. I don't see this ending with you taking my ship. Not this time. But I have all the data I need for the next. So, I will see you later. Or, rather, earlier. Well, you've probably guessed by now, we're going to talk about Harry Mudd today. Welcome to Here's to Mud in Your Eye. Harry Mudd. Hardcore Fenton Mudd. Or, I want to have the Leo Walsh show. We could do that. Okay, (laughs) here's to Leo Walsh in your eye. Good to be back with you, Darren Dockerman, and and with you. We Mark got a, a. great Altman. we got a great special guest today. We do. Yeah, he's a, he's a good friend, a terrific writer, showrunner. Um, just I can't say enough good things about him, Jesse Alexander. Welcome, Jesse. Uh, we're going to talk, say nice things about you for a while. Jesse not only um, has uh, been a producer, writer, producer on such shows as Alias and Heroes, uh, Agent X. Um, and uh, Da Vinci's Demons. He he recently. What about Lost? Well, I was get I was building <laughs> Come up. On, really? I was building up. Agent X and Da Vinci's uh, Demons. Well, I had to put Agent sure. X because that's where we work <laughs> okay. together. But um, I'm I'm building up the drama. Can't you tell? Okay. 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 You're a and drama builder. You you of course know him from the show which changed television. It was the dawn of peak TV, and Jesse was there for the very beginning to usher in peak TV. What show am I talking about? You're probably wondering. It was lost, and Jesse was there. Amazing. Okay. There you are. Well, there you go. And now he's here. It was aliens. It was supposed to be aliens. It was never purgatory. Oh, <laughs> see? Was it really supposed to be aliens? I don't know. I could. I, who knows? Who, I, I who don't know. could say? I, I'll just go to Javi, Javi's blog, and I'm sure he'll have an opinion about <laughs> Absolutely. it. Absolutely. <laughs> There's no thing that says that it needs to be either. It could be both. It's like great art. Absolutely. You project... Whatever you need. The great to be. thing is that you you bring everything you bring in into your world, and you bring it to the show. That when you watch it, Gene, were you a fan of Lost? I loved Lost. I was uh, completely lost when it was on, and uh, and I'm still lost, <laughs> even now. 
Well, I, I, I'm shocked. I never, I never knew that, but uh, good to know. Not many people do. Um, you know, and, and, and Jesse, you know, people don't realize it, but also um, you have a very special connection uh, to um, Harry Mudd because, of course, uh, you were, uh, you know, involved in bringing him back on uh, Star Trek Discovery as well, played by uh, Rain Wilson. That's right. I was very honored to participate in the Hugo Award-nominated episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it was incredibly exciting. I did that with my friend Aaron Colite, who's been a longtime collaborator from uh, uh, Heroes. We wrote that episode together. I'm super proud of it. It was amazing. Well, I, uh, I, I, I just think that you know Harry Mudd is a character that I think has endured for all these years because he's very unique in the Star Trek universe. There's, there's no one else like him. And I, I have to tell you, it was really interesting because um, back in college, I went to a Star Trek convention in Boston. And it was right when Next Generation had just gone into production and um, hadn't, hadn't aired yet. They were just beginning to, to film the episodes. And I remember David Gerald uh, was there, and um, I think it was a week after Roger C. Carmel died. Mm. And uh, he said, you know, people were like, what can you tell us about Next Generation? He says, well, we were going to do a Harry Mudd episode, but um, uh, Roger Carmel sadly passed away last week, and uh, we were going to have them discover him in suspended animation, and, and it, w- and, and it was... Uh, you know, but as soon as Roger Carmel died, we we didn't want to recast him. Right. You know, we we felt like if it's not Roger, we're not going to do Harry Mudd, and that was the only time I've ever heard anybody say that. But to me, I just like it's so sad that we didn't get to see, you know, Roger Carmel one more time as Harry Mudd. Yeah, agreed. I mean, you know, plus you know all those other Senor Noggles commercials he could have done. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> it was a. It was it was for uh, was it for Tostitos or something? He he was Senor Noggles at this TV commercial that it was really offensive. He was uh, playing uh, a Mexican <laughs> yes. character. It was terrible. The old but, days, the, back in the old days. <laughs> yes, but yes, that's when you could be racist and be well, rewarded for he it. He was he was no Colonel Gum. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, you know what Darren, of course, is referring to is his. Uh, performance as the uh, villainous Colonel Gum. You may remember him from Detective Comics. Not. Uh, <laughs> he was actually in the Batman uh, the second season Batman of uh, series. Batman series. And um, it was a really fantastic two-parter uh, because it was the crossover with the Green Hornet. Dude, the best. The best, I, I, right? That sh- I love that show like crazy. I, as a kid, I didn't get that it was supposed to be a comedy. I took it perfectly oh, yeah. literally. Yeah. Was obsessed with the Green Hornet. Used to come down to Motorama to see the uh, the Black Beauty sure. in all its glory. I love that. Both those shows were incredible. They were incredible. And it was so cool to see Batman and the Green Hornet, oh. you know, team up. Or not team up, because they were actually right. adversaries were, for most of the yeah. episode. And they almost got turned into giant postage stamps due to the sinister machinations of Colonel Gum. Well, yeah, this is and and uh, Pinky Pinkston and Pinky Pinkston. <laughs> well, she was in it, and she was on yeah. in the whole thing. It was uh, very very horrible for her, but everything turned out well at the end. I love how he got the clue in the breakfast cereal. Well, that was great. That can happen. <laughs> it was, and you know, I always remember that that the, the episode, the second episode, um, was uh, called "A Piece of the Action." Right. And I was like, oh, this is like cool, because it got you know Harry Mudd is in it, and there's an episode called "A Piece of the Action," and has this like Star Trek thing going, but it didn't really. No, no, it didn't. Great. But, yeah, Great well, let's uh, welcome yeah, awesome. to uh, Inglorious Batchperts, where we talk about <laughs> Batman '66 every week. Man, that Adam West! Yeah. Wow, if he was... only that were true. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, Adam West has joined us. Hello, citizens. 
<laughs> I'm afraid I have to leave because there's crime around. <laughs> Back to Gotham City. Must with you. go. Well, look, you know, what do you remember? I mean, what was your first, um, you know, about uh, Harry Mudd, Jesse? I mean, you know, when you were sort of diving back into this character, um, you know, obviously you look back at the original episodes. You know, was this something that you remembered fondly, that you had strong feelings about uh, Harry Mudd? Absolutely. Of course. I loved Harry Mudd. It was amazing. And, uh, you know, that uh, I'm an original series guy that for me is is my star trek <clears throat> as an old man um i uh and i think that you know when we revisited the mud canon as we were breaking the story for discovery it was really clear to us how mud had been used so well to be a mirror to who Kirk is. You know, there's certainly a version of Kirk being a Harry Mud-like person, you know, character in the universe if he hadn't been in Starfleet, sure. you know? He's this kind of scoundrel who's, you know... Living on his wits. Living yeah. on his wits, loves the ladies, you know, loves mixing it up, is, you know, up for anything. Um, and, and just using a character like that to to shine a light on who the other characters in the story are and, and pull out their themes. And, and that was something on Discovery that we really wanted to do you know, there were some some things that have been talked about in terms of the birth of Discovery. But one thing that we really wanted to do was take uh, Burnham to a new level and shine a light on different facets of Burnham's personality. So the time loop and Harry Mudd were ways that we could really give her something to be up against that would accelerate her growth as a, as a human being as someone who was integrating into human society and transitioning out of her Vulcanian upbringing. Right, right. Good well, use of the word Vulcanian. I saw that. That was free, Darren. You did there. <laughs> I got a few of those. <laughs> he listens to the podcast. <laughs> so um, I want to, you know, I want to ask you because, um, you know, a lot of people just assume because uh, Roger C. Carmel is such a larger than life character, uh, person, you know, performer, that, uh, you know, it's a comedic role. But if you look at you know, uh, Harry Mudd in that first episode, Mudd's Women, mm-hmm. he could also be very sinister. Oh, my God. Totally. He he was a, a kind of a scary pimp. He was yeah. a scary pimp. Absolutely. There's certainly an edge and a bite to him, and it's the fact that he has that, the humorous side to him, that when he pivots and shifts, it makes him more, you know, frightening and intense. Um, and, and that was something that we tried to bring to to how we used him on Discovery to, you know, good or ill. But... Uh, you know, to have a character who can be both sides of it. You know, right. people are more than one thing at the same time. And I think Harry Mudd does a great job of showing that in the in the Trek universe where some of the other characters need to be who they are, whether it's Kirk, Spock, you know, um, Bones. They have to be something very specific. Yeah. But um, there were more facets to Mudd. That was one of the things I liked about the casting of Rain Wilson, too, was that he could be, you know, obviously he's very funny. He's great in The Office. You know, he's been great in a lot of things. I haven't seen The Meg, nor do I, am I likely to, but what? I'm sure he's wonderful in that. But, uh, but you know, he also can play the darker, you know, more sinister aspects of, of Mud. Absolutely. Rain, who else could it be? That was, you know, one of those things that he was so perfect for it. It was such a no-brainer. He, you know, had met with Brian about finding a way to be on the show. Um, in the early days of, of Discovery, mm. they really wanted to do something together. And when we decided to bring Mud back, that he was the go-to. It was perfect. And he's really 
um, done a great job inhabiting that that part, and I'm sure we're going to see more of him on yeah, the show. Yeah, it seems like he's having a lot of fun playing that role, and he is being a Star Trek fan. It's it's huh. you know you always love people who come to it with passion, who who you know who really. Months passion. Much better. Yes. We'll get to that. Oh, of course, the animated yeah, episode. That was incredible. I mean, That's why you're people, professionals. <laughs> people forget, you know, when they talk about the, 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 the sort of mud episodes, Mud's Women and I Mud, um, which, you know, at one point, Gene Roddenberry even said to Roger C. Carmel, you know, we're thinking about spinning off this character. Now, whether that's BS that you tell an actor right. or whether it's true, you know, there have been a couple of, you know, different spinoff ideas that Gene was contemplating during the making of the show. One was an Mbenga show about the right. the, the, the doctor. Um, another was... Um, uh, a Simon Earth, Simon more Earth. famously, uh, with Gary Seven, but you yeah. know he had talked about the idea of uh, of, uh, of uh, at least a Roger of of, right. of, of a, a, a Mud show. Now that I would have loved to seen you know Mud Rogue pi- Space Pirate because you know it's the opposite of Starfleet. It's this guy right. in a ship who's just getting into trouble, and you know in a yeah, way it's the story about the guy who is constantly trying to avoid Starfleet. Yeah, right, <laughs> exactly, and and how you have to do that in this in this universe that is uh, filled with them. Well, you know, and the next generation really is about the sort of perfectibility of man. But, you know, clearly Harry Mudd in the original is a very flawed, you know, nefarious kind of, uh, you know, scoundrel character. Well, you're overlooking the magic of the outrageous Okona. But, you know, Mudd's Woman, let's talk about that because, I mean, here, you know, what, is episode three or four of the original? It's very early in the show's run. And it's a show about space hookers. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty daring and audacious. Well, not necessarily in that time, because remember, Westerns dealt with that kind of stuff all the time. Totally. This yeah. was this was at its very core, you know, wagon train to the stars. This was absolutely in that Western sort of uh, vibe. And they had stories like this all the time on uh, Gunsmoke and uh, Bonanza. Something that I was thinking about, too, as a fan of the podcast who listened listening to it, that something one of your guests was talking about in terms of Gene's experience on... Um, as a veteran, as a war mm, veteran, sure. and his police experience. Yeah. Yep. You know, looking at it, and again, um, Mark Altman's incredible books, The 50-Year Mission that he wrote with uh, with uh, Ed Gross, are incredible. And give I you can't a, remember his name. You remembered mine. And give you a lot of, I'm, I'm, guys, I'm not a professional, I'm just doing this. And give you so much insight into who Gene was and what his motivations were and his demons. And really looking at the show through that lens it is is very interesting in terms of the role of women on the series, in terms of the relationships of the men and the power structures with women on the show. And thinking about it, you know, obviously that was Jean's, Jean's oeuvre. It was something right. he was very interested in and how his experiences in the war and the way that military men, you know, think about women, right. the way that, you know, police would have to deal with prostitution and pimp characters. And sure. there's... There's a that's one of the amazing things about Star Trek that's so great that there's a level of um, verisimilitude and relevance and in, in, in all those stories because they're true. Right. They're they're pulled from from true experiences and true things in the world. It's it's one of the good things too in that the storytelling is tells us that even with all the technological changes, man will not change all that much. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's funny what you're saying about Gene uh, because there's a story in Fifty Year Mission that. Um, uh, one of Gene's old assistants tells, um, and it, it says when he was a cop, him and his partner got called to break up this huge raging party, or, um, and it was um, 
uh, he, he said it was, you know, um, like Iranians, Middle Eastern kind of like, you know, Persian type of thing going on. And, you know, they're, they're, they're dancing and all this stuff. And, and uh, so, you know, the, the, his partner is like, OK, you know, you got shut down. We've got noise complaints. And they're like, oh, you know, we're just celebrating. And why don't you join us? And Gene's like, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> totally. You know, that, that's the kind of guy he was. And and uh, uh, it's 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 so funny because, you know, Gene just. He he had such a lust for life, you know, and, and every you know aspect of it, you know, and uh... and I wonder again if that his proximity to death, you know, again, I don't know what his war experiences were like, right? But clearly, putting yourself in that kind of jeopardy and that kind of danger, losing people, you know, I'm sure we've all had experiences and you know heard of experiences where people, when you get close to, you know, the 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 you know, to death, it changes the way you think about life. And well, he was involved in are. a very serious plane crash in Syria. Yeah. yeah. You know, was that when he was in the military, when he was flying for Pan Am? I, think, oh, right. I think that might have been for Pan Am. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, a you know, and basically, you know, he, he there are different stories. He he tends to exaggerate a little bit how he, like, he took camels and went to get help right, and all that. Right. I don't know if that's true. But the fact that he landed this plane yeah. and, and uh, in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of nowhere and kept everybody, you know, alive and basically brought it to a safe landing. It's incredible. You know, it's incredible. So you can't take away from that. You don't need to embellish that story because already it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you when I need to embellish the story and when I don't. <laughs> Um, but yeah, in terms of, of, of Mud's women, what's so great about that story is it basically says, you know, the moral of that is, inner, you know, beauty comes from inside. It's inner beauty, not outer beauty. The whole idea of taking this Venus drug and that it, it's a placebo and that eventually, you know, it, it's not this drug that he's selling that makes them beautiful. It's, 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 it, it, but it's, it's, it also puts a very unflattering light on some of these people in the Federation because they're these miners who are out there. They're the coal miners of the 23rd sure. century, you know, in West Virginia. I mean, they're, they're living in horrible, squalid conditions. Uh, you know, they, they they barely have a subspace radio. Um, you know, they live in those little huts. I mean, it really is a Western because, uh, uh, like you said, <laughs> like you said, I'm giving you your props. And and then, you know, he's pimping out, you know, the, these women to, to these lithium miners. And, and, and that's an episode I, I don't think I, ne- I necessarily got it as a kid. But, no way. I, right. but you know, mm-hmm. as I got older, I'm like, wow. There's only one kind of woman. Or man, for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that has that episode, you know, they hadn't quite gotten the handle on how to depict Spock. I mean, he's like right. sort of. Yeah, he's, he's leering with the rest of them. Yeah, I mean, it's like, Leonard, really? <laughs> well, we, we can put that down to the power of the Venus drug. No doubt. Yeah, clearly, <laughs> clearly. Um, but it, it's really a terrific, a terrific episode. But it's interesting the difference between that episode, the character of Harry Mudd, and when he shows up again in I Mudd. Mm-hmm. They are ver- written very differently, and it's the same writer, and it's the same writer for the most part. I mean, David Gerald did sure. do an uncredited rewrite, right? And I'm sure Gene Kuhn did a lot of work on it. Absolutely. But um, the you know the tone of both episodes are completely different from one another, but they both work really well. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know I think that the the tightrope that the Harry Mud character is on in I Mud is that he is both the villain and the victim mm-hmm. of the androids. Totally. You know? uh, and you know on on one hand he is the uh, he is the aggressor. Toward Kirk and the and the crew, 
And then when the the flip over happens, uh, you know, he becomes, you know, one of the poor humans again. And seeing the change that happens in his character is really interesting and fun to watch. Well, it shows an evolution of his character through those two episodes. Because, you know, you're at the point of Mud's Women. It's that wonderful scene where, you know, he's still trying to pretend to be Leo Walsh. And he's making up all these excuses for what happened after they basically damaged the Enterprise right. by not responding to the hails. And Kirk saying, you know, and you're a liar, Mr. Walsh. Right. You know, and, and I'm Kirk really doesn't like this guy. Yeah. And you can sense that he does not like this guy. You know, by the end of the episode, they realize who he really is. He's a fraud and he's a carnival barker and he's all right. these things. And so by the time you get to iMud, you can't treat him the same way you treat him. Sure. You know, he's exasperating, but you know exactly who he is. And that's why even though... Mud's taken over a ship. When Kirk first confronts him, he's not like, you know, worried or, right. you know, um, posturing. He's just like, you know, goes right at Harry yeah. Mudd. He's like, you know, let my ship go. Yeah. Stop f- screwing around with us. And then Mud is like, I got the upper hand right. here. It's a, it's a really interesting yeah, character Kirk thinks arc. he knows how to deal with it, but he doesn't have all the facts. Right. And he doesn't realize that Harry Mudd is being manipulated by these robots. And uh, it was so interesting. I don't know, you know, for, if you read the the Cushman book about um, uh, the Star Trek episodes, where he goes into a lot of detail about iMud and you know how difficult it was for Joe D'Augusta, the casting director, to find twins. Sure. Um, and then I guess apparently some of the twins they found on Hollywood Boulevard, you know, on a street corner, and what they were doing on that street corner on Hollywood Boulevard in the late '60s, I, I Are you can only they, guess. They would have been more appropriate for Mud's women. Uh, apparently so. I see. Apparently That's so. fascinating. Um, but uh, you know, and but there's some good performances. The main girls who play the, the, the two twins are, are are quite good. And then through the use of special effects, and of course, that introduces the character of Stella, who became a sort of touchstone as well in um, uh, in the in Discovery as well. Yeah, and, we used her in Discovery and and her father, and that went through a bunch of different iterations in terms of what that was going to look like and trying to keep it aligned with. A version of canon that we could all like. Oh, I think we could explain sure. this story through these, you know, things that on, that we don't reveal here. Right. But there are ways that this could that this could work. Um, and it was it was fun to think about his approach to Stella in a different way yeah. than than where it ended up. Right, because she, I mean, she really was this sort of shrewish harpy in uh, in I Mud. You know, it's a comic relief. You know, this whole idea, or at that, least that's his memory of her. Yes. Right. That's that's what he programmed the android to be. Yes, very much right. That well that said. was well said, Darren. <laughs> I'm optimistic that was their uh, their artistic choice. Absolutely. <laughs> Hardcore Fenton mod. Um, but you know, it, it, because that episode just gets really surreal towards the end. When oh my god, it's sure. crazy! It's, it's like a Brechtian, you know. Black box play or something. It's mm-hmm. incredible. It's incredible. I was watching it. Yes, I just looked at the episodes again yesterday, and I had forgotten how long that sequence went on and how kind of surreal it is in the way that they shoot it. And it's fantastic. Yeah. And what you know, what the process. And you always look at these things as a writer. Like, how would I write that? And and the, thinking about how they must have come up with it, and then you know, to, you know, block the scene. It must have been incredible. Right. Well, it wasn't the first time that Kirk had talked a computer to death. This was right. perhaps the most unique, right. you know. In Scotty terms... had too much happiness. Now he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they just seem to be having so much fun in that, uh, you know, um, 
scene, and it's just it's crazy. It's crazy, and that you know, <clears throat> it it definitely was something when we wrote our episode of Discovery. The show was still figuring out, you know, what the tone of the show was going to be, mm-hmm. and for us, it was really a, an opportunity to try to 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 show, you know, you can have some humor, right? You right. know, and and, and to. You know, there were iterations of the script that had a little bit more humor in them. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that it, that might have been hard for certain people who weren't very familiar with the, with Trek to really understand that that was probably OK. Well, you know, of course, uh, Jesse's talking about his episode uh, with uh, magic to make the sanest man go mad, which, um, you know, I really like because it's it's the um, it's a, more of a standalone episode. Yeah. Uh, which is in the tradition of, of, of the treks that preceded it. And, um, you know, of course, it has an interesting um, uh, sci-fi uh, MacGuffin, yeah. uh, you know, which, which sort of, again, harkens back to some of the great uh, Star Trek shows. Um, you know, but one of the MUDs uh, that we're not talking about, and I alluded to it previously, was MUDs' passion. Captain's Log, Stardate 4978.5. We are approaching the Arcadian star system on a mission to locate an old friend. Captain Kurt and the ineluctable Mr. Spock. What is it? My love potion. Not delusion, not trickery, dear Nurse Chapel. Oh, sorry, sir. Dear, lovely Christine. I can't stand the thought of any danger to her. Love. By the way, anybody keeping a trace on the captain and Mr. Spock? Thanks, Jim. It's good to have a friend like you. Strange, that's the way I feel about you, too. My dear friend, Spock. From the anime series, which a lot of people forget about. Now, Roger C. Carmel returns to do the voice. Mm-hmm. It's it, as far as I'm concerned, that is part of the troika of Mud episodes. What do you guys think of that episode? I, you know, again, I was a shipper for Chapel and Spock, <laughs> so for me, <laughs> I, that episode resonates. And I also was a Man Kazin War fan of David Gerald stuff. So uh-huh. with the like the Lion Lady, you know, sure. in the and those in the animated series was something that M rest to you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm not a Trek expert. Uh, I'm a more a Trek enthusiast. Um, <laughs> You're uh, a lover, not an expert. Uh, absolutely. So, what what's super cool about that animated series is that it shows. You know, look. Obviously, I'm prejudiced because I'm a writer, but it shows you like the writing is super important. Like, it takes the story very seriously. Yes. Like, you know, the, the imagery is kind of is kind of ridiculous and stuff. That's a fuck. That was, oh my god. Excuse my excuse my swearing here. Um, that is a very serious story. It's a right. it's a perfectly valid story that could be told in a live action format. Absolutely, um, uh, and certainly it's on theme with with the other mud episodes dealing with love and manipulation mm-hmm. of emotion and using a magic you know pill or potion to to can get you what force you want. Love can you yeah, yeah yeah can you force love on someone? Which is you know again what's great about Star Trek is how relevant it is, and you know even today you look at that and it's super relevant. It's like you know can I make someone love me and you know what are the parameters of that and you know you know there's this drug and does it work does it not work now of course in its 
because it is Saturday morning uh, you know, animation, eventually you have to have the scene on the planet with the two dinosaur creatures that is not particularly interesting and, and nothing we haven't seen before. It sort of gets sort of land of the losty at the end. But what I love about it is the relationship, which I feel that Kirk has to um, Mud, which evolves from, uh, you know, again, that frustrated sense of I'm, I have to deal with this lunatic again. Um, but then the arc, which was always implied that you know, Christine Chapel yeah. has this, you know, unrequited love to Spock and here's her chance yeah. to, you know, it's the first time since really the naked time to act on that. Yeah. And um, although uh, they did share consciousness for a moment. That's in, true. Uh, in uh, uh, Return to Tomorrow. And that's why he's a Trexpert and not a lover. <laughs> that's so great. I love it. You can be both. You can be both. <laughs> um, and, and so there's some great stuff. I mean, where she is talking to, um, him at the brig, and he's trying to convince her. No, this really works, and you should, um, you should try yeah. it. And and as is the case with most of the animated series, even though there's some clunky dialogue and a few uh, sort of uh, things that they have to do because it's Saturday morning. There's also some great dialogue. I mean, when McCoy is infected by the um, the drug, mm-hmm. and he's trying, he's hitting on this woman, and he, you know, because of the uh, power of the drug, and he basically says. You know, I've saved virtually everyone on the ship, and if the Enterprise had a heart, I'd save her too. I mean, that's just fun, you know, <laughs> dialogue that could have been in the original series. And that's why, you know, when people say, oh, I don't think the animated series is canon, I think you really have to question that. I think that. it's cool. You know, I think a, a specific story on that there's one episode of the animated series where they're on this planet and they don't, I vaguely remember, they don't know what the hell's going on and then they're leaving the planet and the planet is saying like, don't leave me alone, don't leave me. It was like a living planet that they're leaving. My son was so disturbed and haunted by that. Like conceptually, this idea that there's this lonely entity out there and it's ridiculous ridiculous as it was in, right. in in terms of you know trying to sell that emotion in terms of the execution of a Saturday morning cartoon it really resonated with the, certain people in the audience the fact that the the Star Trek animated series even exists is such a miracle um, that it's uh, you know it's completely forgivable for any of its uh, you know foibles um, but I think it's amazing that they were able to take a lot of these stories, which are very adult in nature, and be able to fit it in the box of Saturday morning, uh, you know, child-based entertainment, uh, and in that you know short you know twenty-six minute format, you know, to be able to tell a, a what is essentially a an original series story yeah. within that limitation is amazing. It's amazing. And I think that that's something, too, that fans have to remember. And, and I feel I can say this as a, 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 a you know lifelong nerd and fan and, you geek. know, who we went to cons since as a child. You like, you know, it, it's a miracle in this business that anything gets done that's good. Absolutely. It's a mm-hmm. miracle. Yeah. So. You you really you know the way that fans often judge you know content and material. It, I, I think it's a misplaced energy. Like the fact that there's anything good at all that's being executed in these spaces is a miracle and has to be. That's celebrated. what people who don't work in the business don't understand. And yeah. what's even when you were doing these twenty four episode seasons or twenty six oh episodes, my God, that's even more that. miraculous. Just as I was scrolling through the episodes to find the mud thing, I was like. Oh, my God. Yeah. How many of these did they do? <laughs> and when I started in the business on Alias, we did 22 and we had to do 24. And now I'm doing these ep- these shows where you do eight and yeah. it takes as long and right. costs more. And it's, it's even harder. It's like, how did anyone ever execute yeah. that much content in a, a creative way that was successful? 
And, and that's the thing. And people say, well, why aren't these shows better? It's like, why aren't these shows worse is really oh, the question absolutely. we should be asking ourselves. That's exactly right. Uh, that's exactly right. And, and, and people, you know, just kill themselves to put these things on the air. Literally kill sometimes. themselves. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, it is such an, an exhausting, you know, stressful process from the people at all, you know, in all elements of the of the process trying to navigate you know making these shows well you were there at that look in in, in the the very beginning of discovery and you know without oh, getting yeah. too much into that i mean that was a, a very challenging period as the show you know, like any of these series trying to find itself in the early days that's it that's, that's it was it, every show is hard like that and you know sometimes people say oh we found it in episode four found it in episode six you know we didn't find it in the first season you know right, right. watch this you know series starting the first episode of you know season two like the, it, it, it's always such a struggle and and i you know one of the specific challenges there's so many specific challenges with rebooting a star trek is there's the canon, there's the fans, there's everybody's, you know, nostalgic memories of what mm-hmm. the show is and what it was. How do you make it, you know, relatable and re- relevant to a modern audience without alienating the fans? Mm-hmm. And then production-wise, how do you build, design, pay for this whole world of uh, uh, of an imagined universe? And that has always been one of the most challenging pieces of the process on all the genre shows I've ever worked on is the creative people who are making the show in terms of the writers and the directors and the producers selling that vision of something that doesn't exist, that isn't real, to an executive-type personality is a real struggle because it, it is, you know, very kind of Mars and Venus-type approach. Mm-hmm. They're just very different, you know, types of people that go into these into these lines of work. And it's always a, a hard thing, again, which goes back to it's a miracle that any you know, kind of genre stuff is executed at a at a successful. And what level. people don't realize is you're not just trying to serve your own muse. There's the network, dude. You know, there's the cast. There's you know a lot of people that you're trying to keep happy, or not even trying that you have to keep happy. You have to keep happy, and it's so rare that you do have a personality that's large enough to to put the hammer down. And and you know, more often than not, particularly these days. Everybody in the process feels so empowered, and they really want to, to want to participate in it and take ownership of of the creative vision and how how the art is being executed. And it takes a specific kind of mindset that can collaborate. Well, it's are funny. There, Go ahead, Darren. I, I was just going to ask: Are there things that you wanted to do with your uh, Mud Discovery episode? That you didn't get to, a hundred percent, absolutely. It's not. It's certainly not the Harlan Ellison, you know, <laughs> level of like you should have read my script, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> but uh, but um, uh, absolutely. It, it, that's the thing. It's always, you know, how many compromises, you know, are you going to make, and 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 how uh, collaborative, you know, do you need to be, and what battles do you need to fight, and. Um, and I really believe that some boundaries are important for, you know, artists in their process. You know, mm-hmm. some of our, you know, whether it's a Spielberg or, you know, I'm going to say the Wachowskis or someone, mm-hmm. you know, there's value in having some gates and challenges and, and walls in your process. Well, the Star Wars prequels are proof of Dude, that. Beyond. Yeah. Creativity is made better by challenges. I believe that so wholeheartedly. Yeah. And I just did a crazy show, uh, American Gods season two. Mm-hmm. And I came on that show and the schedule was ridiculous. It was so tight. Other people were not going to take that job. Mm-hmm. But I was like, 
oh my God, that's going to give us the power and the freedom right. to try some really interesting right. things. Based on what I've done in the past, I know how to do it. And it it's those limitations mm-hmm. that are going to are going to help us do something special. Yeah. It makes you it makes you focus on what is actually important. You have to you have yeah. to make decisions. Otherwise, uh-huh. you can just rewrite and iterate yep. until, you know, until well, it turns into mush. And, and that's the 100%. thing we can't kept... show for nobody. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's remember the argument we keep making on um, on Agent X because the network Dude. did not care. Dude. So we're like, this is the one chance where the network could care less. Let's do something cool because we can do yes. it. Exactly. And I remember so clearly there was a note skull on that show in the early days. And we essentially got no notes. Yeah. And I looked at another f- guy on the staff who'd been in TV before. And we just looked at each other like, oh, my God, that means they don't care. We're dead. And there were other people right. in the room that were high-fiving like, yes. we yeah. did it. We got <laughs> this. And I'm like, you do no, not no. get it, dude. That is the kiss of death. Like we're we're done. Yeah. We should all start working yeah. on our resumes. It's over. Yeah, that means your parents don't care if you're dead in exactly. the street. Exactly. <laughs> That's what it means. Exactly. Yeah. So have and you know having a relationship with executives who who trust you and feel that they can participate in the process in a way that is effective and helps mm-hmm. make the show better and helps us as artists, you know, be right. the better version of ourselves and even challenge ourselves, you know, in ways that we wouldn't. It, it, is very rare and so important uh, in the process. How sacrosanct do you feel like these characters like Harry Mudd should be or these sort of legendary characters? Because obviously J.J. went back and you know did Kirk and Spock, which people said you could never recast them. It goes back to um, Gene Roddenberry when Harv Bennett was saying, I want to do the Academy years and I would do young Kirk and Spock. And Roddenberry would argue, you can't recast them or... or no one can except me. <laughs> so, I, I don't uh, agree with any with any of that. I think that's all just nostalgia and people's like you know, get off my lawn. When I was a kid, this is who Kirk was. Like I think you do have to be honest and truthful with who the character is and capture the spirit of the character. And look, I really like JJ's movie. I, again, it's a mirror. JJ's first, and I know you have issues with it, Mark. But no, no, I, it's not a criticism. But I, I mean, think that he, again, JJ is so brave to have taken on Trek and the, Star Wars. Those iconic characters. He's a, he's a lunatic. You know, it, it's amazing that he, that he's done that and that those things are as good as they are. And and he, I feel he's very true to the spirit of um, of 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 Kirk and, and Spock and that. It was again, it was something that we. Talked about in the room a lot on Discovery, you know, trying to make the show, even just as a show, like how do you honor the spirit of Star Trek and and the reasons that people love that show and and execute that in the current, you know, peak TV moment that we're in. And there were a lot of creative challenges in in that. And I can't wait to see season two. I'm super optimistic for Discovery. Mm -hmm. I'm super optimistic that the challenges faced by season one have lined them up for success in season two and will really recapture the spirit of, of the original Trek and yet finding, you know, new ways to tell stories and, and, and that are relatable to a modern audience and relevant right, for right. all of us. Well, one of the things I think that's great that, you know, one of the lessons of the original series, look at your title, Magic yeah. to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad. Listen, the ship is in danger. We have been caught in a 30-minute time loop. And every second that you doubt me brings us all closer to death. Ah! Intruder alert. Shots fired. Want him locked down. Drive overload critical. Wait! Go, go, go! Make yourselves at home. I have. 
Star Trek Discovery. That evokes to me the great titles like Requiem for Methuselah Dude, or that City was, again, the... it was. I remember more specifically how Aaron and I came up with the title for an earlier episode that had the tardigrade in it, which was like this weird alien. It was like... Um, the butcher cares not for the lamb's cry or right, something like right, that. Right. And we were texting each other, like just trying to like outdo each other because <laughs> that, you know, again, Harlan, you know, whether for me, Harlan Ellison is my touch point for that, you know, sense of sci-fi that I have and the way that, you know, TikTok, you know, <laughs> for the Harlan McQueen, yeah. like, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I loved, and it adds this level of, um, of, uh, of thought and care, and there's art in the title, even in the title. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always felt titles on TV shows are just such a waste and so stupid, mm-hmm. uh, unless you know you really lean into it and try to do something remarkable. Well, we used to make. I remember back in the days when I was doing Sci-Fi Universe many mm-hmm. many years ago, we used to make fun of the titles for Next Generation Absolutely. of Voyager, and we did. I one of my favorite things we ever did was what original Star Trek would have been uh, called had it been done on Voyager or Next Generation. Yeah. So you had like City on the Edge of Forever, the city, you know. Right, yeah, <laughs> uh, so and you'd have like assignment Earth, you know, and it would be like, uh, you, you know, um, uh, rocket launch, you right. know. Or so, and I think that that's really interesting because it, it, it does really, you know, reflect what a challenge it is to bring, you know, thoughtful sci-fi content to a modern network or even back then when they were relaunching it you know mm-hmm. the way that the very often the networks say oh you have to you know talk down to the audience or they won't get it or they won't understand and you need to simplify and clarify and all those kinds of things that can really take the art out of it and take take what's special away from it yeah yeah no it's 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 true which is why we have to come up with better titles for this podcast episode well so we're not going to call it here's to mud in your eye I think I think we can do better, Mark. I think we can do better. <laughs> I can't. I'm teasing you. I can't. Salted caramel? Salted caramel? <laughs> did Gene Coon did Gene Coon work on Gunsmoke or any of the what was the big No, Have Gun Will Travel. Have Gun Will Travel, that's right. Yeah. No and then we're right. gonna do an episode. In fact, we're gonna have Doug Doug Drexler joining us to talk about Have Gun Will Travel and its impact on impact on Star Trek in a future episode, which I'm really looking forward to because I'm such a huge fan of Have Gun Will Travel and its impact on, on Star Trek. Roddenberry and Coon both right. worked on that ah. show and it had a, a huge effect on, on Roddenberry and, and, and Star Trek. You can see the seeds of Star Trek in Have Gun Will Travel. The space seeds. The space seeds. Yes, indeed, you <laughs> you can. <laughs> um, so, which of uh, the mud episodes are your favorite? Uh, you know, excluding the one that you uh, you you were one of the writers on. Um, which of the three? I prefer the second one. Is that I mud? That's I mud. Yeah. I think I really like the second one. Captain's log, star date forty five thirteen point three. After having been taken over by an android. We are entering orbit around a planet which has never been charted. Who sent you? You should refer to me as Mud the First. I've had 500 of them made up to attend me. I love you. However, I hate you. What a shame you're not real. We are programmed to function as human females. You are? This place is even better than Leningrad. Scotty. Scotty's dead. He had too much happiness. Fact is, 
I've taken over your whole ship. There's nothing you can do about it. Particularly to revisit the second... For me, I think the second one um, isn't quite as disturbing in the Me Too era Mm. as the first one is. Mm -hmm. I think looking at the first one, you know... you know, just in terms of the treatment of women and the relationship with men and women, like it's so so um, intensely of the time. I think in the in the in the first one, and so exploitive. Again, we can say that there was a spin in the in terms of inner beauty and stuff, but there's some complexity to that episode. That uh, in terms of the emotional relationships that, and again, I just think the creativity in the in I Mud. Um, I find it very inspiring in the way that it can can shift tone and the structure of the episode and the and the characters and the production design is is amazing. Yeah, you know, it, 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 and that's something we didn't really talk on, but you're absolutely right in the, you know, the Me Too era or just a more enlightened era, absolutely. I would say, you know, looking back at Mud's Women, yes, there's so much to it. There's so much more depth there. Uh, then at first blush you yeah. may may think, you know, again dealing with this idea of inner beauty, but the way that the women are uh, objectified, but um, more, you know, more importantly, just the fact that this is really their only outlet for uh, a job. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's you know, a funny the scene too because I was looking at it with through that lens certainly, and in I Mud, there's a scene where the the guys are uh, the gang is is with. Um, mud and they're talking about what their plan is going to be and if you're watching Nichelle Nichols like Mm -hmm. she's doing such a good job of staying relevant in the scene even though she has nothing to say and there's a couple moments where you see that she's about to say something and then the other characters cut her off and it, it was such a great kind of um example about you know of how women were were you know disregarded in terms of their you know level of ability to to participate and have val- valuable ideas and and be part of command and those things you know in those early days of the show it's so interesting because you know in so many ways star trek's so progressive and in other ways it was regressive you know you have you know in the cage number 1 is second in command yeah. a woman in second command of ship and you know and she's not emotional you yeah. know because the idea is that you know women are so emotional and you so like in so many ways it's so ahead of its time and then you know you even get to next generation and cupid and you know you have troy and crusher who are trying to stave off you know the attacking marauders with pots and you know tableware and and and, yeah. and frying pans and it's it's such a throwback uh when if only they would have put them out into the wind to clean oh my god have a sand <laughs> like, hey it's gonna work good idea that's the idea well maybe that's where she gets the approbation sponsor <laughs> yeah uh-huh. i think that it, you know again goes back to what i was saying earlier it's a miracle that anything's good you know <laughs> that, that gets done and just imagining you know, the conversations with, you know, all the stakeholders in the project on those mud episodes about how the women are portrayed and how do we do this? And, you know, was there the executive who was like, the, sh- the shorter, shorter skirts, shorter skirts? Well, that was probably G. That was probably G. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? So what, so that... It, it... I'd like to make sure that I'm around for all the casting. Uh... I mean, he's an incredible dichotomy because yes. at one point he could be a huge advocate for... um you know, uh, there are a lot of powerful women in, in, in Star Trek. And yet, at the same time, you know, you have a scene where they're walking out of the transporter room and you can chalk it up to the Venus drug. But, you know, all the guys are sort of leering like they've never seen a woman before. You yeah. know, it, it's 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 it's. Um... And look, even in those days, that was wacky. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, 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 this isn't meant to be taken as serious 
reactions right. by actual males. It's played for comedy. Yes, right? that's true. Uh, so it's it's not it's not how things were. It's how things were on TV. Yes. So you know, there's a little difference between that, and you know, I think we can all understand that no matter what sort of a you know person Gene was in his personal life, mm-hmm. his intentions to better the world were genuine. Yes. Yes. As were his intentions to participate in the more in, hedonistic in, in many other, <laughs> in many other <laughs> wonderful parts yes. of life. Yes. But, you know, the, the, the thing is, and I, I think, you know, look, it's still the same here. I think people do have the best of intentions, but, you know, nobody's perfect. And, 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 you know, Dean, Gene, you know, was such a dichotomy. Uh, but what the gift that he gave the world, whatever his personal foibles, so outweigh whatever transgressions he had in Absolutely. his personal life. I mean, we're not here to judge. From, yeah, you know, separate the art from the artist. You have to do that. And I've heard that before. You know, it's it, it's the you know as you were saying, yes, it was different in the real world, and those were portrayed. But you know, the stories that we put out there on TV and you know in media are. The the ideas and the things that shape culture, and and I think there's significant well. value in you know again this is real this is a real overshare, in a great way and potentially disturbing. You know I think Barbara Gordon in that Batman show, it, you know it was it was so such a strong woman, and I think again this is an overshare shaped the way that I think about what you know a cool woman could be. Right, with sure. someone who was capable and participatory and intelligent, librarian and by competent. day. Again, Spandex wearing please. superhero. You know, by I said night. it was an overshare, <laughs> uh, but but you know it's that's something that is it's amazing that Trek has had such a positive influence. You know on our species. Yeah. It's incredible. No and question. It's a, a legacy that's very hard to live and, up. You know, to. I would say look at some of those great scenes between Kirk and um, uh, in in Mud's Women. You know where she's confiding. You know. Her lot in life. Yes, to right. chat. I mean, this super subtle and yeah. sweet, and and really, you know, some of the great scenes of any Star Trek episode. I mean, you know, and you go back to playing comedy. The whole idea of her setting off the alarm in sick bay and mm-hmm. D Kelly. You know, I mean, there's this great stuff in that there. episode. But I would agree with you. I just I mud because it's so atypical mm-hmm. and yeah. it's so off concept that I would have to say I prefer I mud only because. It, you know, it's Roger Carmel unleashing the full Roger Carmel, right. which, you know, he in that Charles Nelson Riley kind of way that was very Roger C. Carmel. I mean, and and but he he could go from being sort of mincy to totally threatening mm-hmm. in a in a heartbeat. And, um, you know, I just I just got a kick out of him and whatever I saw him in, whether it was Batman or but but that episode is so great because also he goes from being an enemy to an ally. Yes. In that episode, which is a nice. And that's another transition. thing, too, that amazing about Trek. I think, again, a super positive thing about Trek is the way that people settle their differences and the way mm-hmm. that they work together and the way that, yes, we were just having an argument. But I respect you as a human right. being, yes. and there before, but for the grace of God, go I. Let's work together to figure out a way through this. I think for me, that's one of the great messages of Trek, and is and even in its absurd, you know, levels of absurdity, it's very well displayed in I Mud, as you see all the other characters have to unlock their inner kind of hairy mud in terms right. of the performance. At and the I end. would say, if you haven't seen Mud's Women, I mean Mud's Passion. You know, and you're a Harry Mudd fan. You really owe it to yourself. Oh. It's on Netflix. It's available in high def. 
uh, on 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 Blu-ray. Um, and you should check out Mud's, Mud's Passion because it's really a delightful little episode. And again, the fact that it is Roger Carmel doing the voice, um, there is, you know, 90% of it is a really fine episode. Mm-hmm. You should definitely check Might it out. Might even be on YouTube. If you search for it on YouTube, maybe you'll don't find it. Don't encourage people maybe. to do that. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm just guessing. I'm and sure you, it is on YouTube. I, I, didn't, but... <laughs> I wouldn't have watched it that way on my phone yesterday. But... And if, you, if, you like, if you like dinosaurs, there's something in it for you, too. That's yes. true. It's Who a doesn't Jurassic like Park. Yeah. <laughs> That's 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 for sure. Well, I got to tell you, Jesse, it was so great having you on on the show. Somebody who's you know a fan, a but, fan, but not a expert, but who is <laughs> who has actually written for this character. Oh, I mean, yeah. and, and that's the amazing thing. Who's brought him back to life after uh, what 30, 35 year hiatus? It's pretty crazy. And just, yeah. you know, the way that I was first exposed to Star Trek is so weird. I was an eight-year-old kid. I was traveling with my parents. We were at some random party in the American Southwest, and there was another kid there, and he was running around with, like, a Kirk shirt on yeah. and had a Starfleet technical manual. And I saw that technical manual, and I lost my mind. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. And it, I was just hooked. See, I don't think we can go an episode without mentioning the technical manual at least once. It's amazing how it keeps coming up again and again. But that's because it was such a seminal text for, I mean, that was our holy Bible, you know, back back in the 70s. Back when we had nothing. We had nothing. nothing, And we liked it. (laughs) Well, look, Jesse, I I really, this was great having you, and I hope you'll come back because we'd love to have you on the show again. I'd be happy to talk about Barbara Gordon. I well, think if you don't, if you don't Yvonne consider Craig, yourself, is that right? I think if you don't, if you don't consider yes. yourself a Trexpert, I think you should start thinking of yourself. As well, a, and I also think when we do the I episode on whom gods destroy, we can talk Absolutely. about Yvonne Craig playing uh, oh. a Green Ryan <laughs> Slave right. Girl. And, That's right. Yeah, she was better as Batgirl, but uh, but but she's good in anything. I'm not a big fan of uh, whom gods destroy, but we did interview her. One of the last interviews, Ed Gross interviewed her for Fifty Year Mission right before she passed away. And um, it's a great little interview with uh, her talking about that episode and her experiences working on Star Trek. Thank you uh, for having me here. And I do really, again, need to plug Mark and Ed Gross's book, The 50-Year Mission, uh, talks all about Trek. And even if you're not interested in Trek, and you wouldn't be listening to this if you were. That's why they're listening to our podcast. I'm not interested. There were no other podcasts on the Apple Store. That's the thing is you should tell people that are interested in the TV business. Like the second volume of that series is Mm -hmm. like the best book ever about how hard it is and what it takes to put a TV series on the air. Yeah. It's incredible. You it guys be mandatory are too, reading too, in every film school. I just we, we just did a podcast with David Goodman and he was uh, saying something very sad. It's very nice and I, I mean as much as I poo-poo it, I really appreciate uh, the kind words about that. But uh, I want to um, thank you again for being here. I want to remind our audience you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Inglorious Trek. If you like what you hear, please rate us five stars at Apple Podcasts. If not, Please don't do anything. Just sit back, listen to another podcast. That's fine. Just don't rate us. Uh, also, if you're a fan of Star Trek Discovery, don't miss our new podcast, Disco Nights, um, with uh, new episodes premiering every Sunday night later this month, wherever you listen to podcasts. And finally, a very special thanks to all our friends here at the Electric Surge Network, uh, engineer Bill Ritter and Dean Devlin for making it all possible. And until next week, on behalf of Darren Docterman, myself, and Jesse Alexander, saying, in every revolution, there is one man or woman with a vision. May your way be as pleasant. Shh. Engage.
Sweetheart, I'll be watching all.